Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everybody? My name is Garrett Morlang. Hey, everybody. I'm JJ Prudhomme. And we are the Super Gamer Boys. And we are the preeminent video game podcast in the entire world. We are trying to take over the world with all of our comedy, with news and whatnot. And we are so excited to be members of the HP Video Game Podcast Network. Yes, we bring you uh, all the news you want to know every week. We bring you movie reviews, game reviews, uh, and all the goofs you want to hear. So come check us out every Wednesday on your favorite podcast service. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. Did you know that our cast is on Patreon? Well, now you do. So go check out patreon.com slash ArtCast for ways to help out the show and get some sweet perks in return. It could be something small, such as our $1 tier to show your support, or you could join one of our higher tiers to get a shout-out, pick an episode topic, or even be a part of the show as a special guest. Even just sharing our show to your friends goes a long way. So once again, that's patreon.com slash ArtCast. Thanks for helping us, and keep it retro. What's up, Argonauts, and welcome to another Retro Gaming Podcast. This is episode 192 of the Rcast. I am your host, David Gilton, and with me is a man who may pick a fight with you in a cereal aisle near you, Robert Workman. <laughs> God, you know, go shopping for some Raisin Bran and old people go nuts. Just, <laughs> I'm walking along there, and a brush along this guy. He's like, you want to fuck with me? I'm like, no, I just want my Raisin Bran so I can have my fiber in peace. Go. <laughs> Sounds like he needs more fiber himself, though, yeah? <laughs> yeah. You, what, what, go bug somebody in the vegetable aisle, because clearly... <laughs> <laughs> the brain of a cabbage. But uh, yeah, this week we are talking about something that people take their time with while going incredibly fast with speedruns. Because as you guys know, speedruns have picked up quite a bit over the years thanks to shows like Games Done Quick and other things that are happening with live streams. And we have uh, an expert who understands inside and out how speedrunning works. Isn't that right, David? That's right, yeah. So with us is speedrunner 8-Bit Steve. So how's it going there, Steve? Pretty good, man. And by the way, I don't think anyone is fighting you for a box of Raisin Bran. Like, nobody... I was about to say. Nobody wants it's that. It's just Raisin Bran. Okay, you never you know, know Cap- though. You never know. Captain Crunch, Captain Crunch, maybe. But Raisin <laughs> Bran? You know, you know, no, that's not how this works. But yeah, it's one of those things. But no, that's not the highlight of the news this week. The highlight of the news this week, there, David, is all about uh, where you can stay if you're an Atari fan sometime in the future. Yeah, so uh, Atari announced that they're coming out with their own Atari Hotels this year. Uh, so if you go to AtariHotels.com, they have like their information there as well as, uh, I think it's like basic mock images of what these hotels are going to look like. But um, it legit just kind of looks like a building-sized Atari console, really, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, so the website here says, Atari, a trailblazer in the gaming industry, is pioneering an exciting new concept, a unique lodging experience combining the iconic brand with a one-of-a-kind video game-themed destination. Atari Hotels level up hotel entertainment with fully immersive experiences for every age and game ability, including the latest in virtual and augmented reality. Select hotels will also feature state-of-the-art venues and studios to accommodate esports events. So uh, it's pretty cool here. So it looks like the first hotel is going to be opening up in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, I noticed here too, Robert, uh, one of the hotels is going to open up right near you in Denver. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I already have a house here in Denver. I mean, what am I going to go there, go there, stay the night, and then go home? Exactly. <laughs> yes, you are going to do that. Yeah, I probably will. Um, it's a staycation but, in this case, yeah. <laughs> it's just so weird. You know, like Atari's jumping all in with this Atari Hotels, and yet we still haven't heard anything about what's going on with the Atari VCS. It's just <laughs> bizarre. But, I mean, if they can pull this off and, you know, not make, like, the elevators like E.T., where every time you try to go up, it goes right back down to the ground floor. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, I'll be down to check this place out. I've never really seen a gaming hotel outside of maybe a, a couple of resorts in, in Japan, maybe. Not since so, the Sega Channel, really, right? Yeah, yeah, seriously. So, I mean, it'd be great to see, 
if they can pull this off, if they can make it gaming oriented or, you know, if they try to do too much. Because, you know, like some of these esports places, they try to do too much to get into the gaming culture instead of just enough. You know, they try to overload it with, oh, gamer themes. And, you know, they try to ram them down your throat instead of creating a comfortable environment. So, I mean, I would love to see Atari nail the ambiance of what made Atari great in a hotel setting, but there's also the risk of they'll overdo it. Oh, hi, welcome to Atari. Here, have a free cartridge of combat. <laughs> right. I mean, Atari does seem to be, like, going full bore as far as, like, just trying to get, like, the brand back out there, really, in front of people, like, with, like, the VCS that's coming out soon, uh, and also with you know, with these hotels. So, Steve, I was kind of curious if, like, the Atari hotel is a place that you feel like that you would stay in. Absolutely. I mean, um, anyone that's a gamer wants to stay in a game hotel whether it's a sega or nintendo or whatever i think atari is kind of a neutral brand so like you're not going to get the i'm a sega guy and i'm not going to stay in a nintendo hotel thing um i mean atari is definitely not neutral i can tell you that much i mean um if you talk to tommy tallarico who's uh starting up that new television console the amico uh he wants to bring up that whole uh, console wars again between Intellivision and atari just like back in the day so oh, you know, wow. the, the ironic thing is that he actually has an atari game on his system he, you saw that version of breakout the endless one right that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so there we go <laughs> the war's on i guess exactly yeah um, but yeah, I was kind of curious though, Steve, like if there was like anything that you would want to see, I guess, from like the Atari hotel, cause it does mention here, like with like, you know, you know, having VR and AR and like esports and all this stuff. So I don't know if there's like any like other accommodations, I guess you hope to see. Um, Atari is a little bit before my time. I, I did play Atari. Uh, I started on Atari, but it was for a very short period of time. Mostly NES was when I grew up with. So I don't have any expectations for it. I would definitely check it out and see what they offer. Uh, I would hope that it would have more variety than just Atari branded stuff. But uh, I expect a little bit of that. Um, I have a semi-interesting story if you want to hear it. It should take about a minute or two. Sure. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, about five to ten years ago, uh, I hadn't thought about this for a while, so I'm not sure the actual chronology of this. Um, I pitched an idea to a company. They were come. They were trying to come up with hotel ideas. I used to be uh, in business marketing. Um, I pitched an idea to them for a hotel Castlevania, um, where the oh okay, <laughs> where the entire hotel is themed like gothic. It's like a gothic themed Castlevania hotel, and so all the rooms are gothic wow. and the light fixtures are gothic and everything is just based on Castlevania. And uh, can you whip the candles and get like items? Yeah, from them, I mean, say, say you want to say you want to turn the lights off when you go to sleep. Do you just whip them off? Is that what if you're hungry, is there a turkey in the wall? That's what I want. <laughs> See how awesome that could be, though. Like it's a, uh, it's I, I just thought it was something really cool to stay up. But now Atari's doing it, so I, I'm, I'm definitely gonna if they open one, I'm definitely gonna try it at least once. I mean, I know Konami does have like their other businesses like around as well. And I know one of them uh, is like love hotels, you know, so maybe if they like transition like the love hotels idea to a more gamer centric uh, kind of idea for, for their hotels, that could actually work or you could actually see like that, that, you know, that sort of thing happen. By the way, when you say Hotel Castlevania, why do I keep thinking such a lovely place, such a lovely fit? The Eagles <laughs> Hotel. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave because what is a man? What is a man? Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> what is a hotel what is what a is hotel, hotel? <laughs> and uh the next story that we want to get into here also is with the second season dlc for samurai showdown uh so they have like uh, new characters that they're going to be adding into the game here uh with some returning favorites so there is uh, mina who is the uh, character who uses like a bow and arrow basically uh sogetsu who is the uh, brother of um kazumi i believe uh or kazama Kaz- or, or, or yeah kazuki sorry, sorry. kazuki yeah part of um, the kazama clan right, right that's right yeah yeah yeah. so like uh sogetsu like, he uses like water powers and uh, kazuki he uses like fire and all that stuff so they have a whole dichotomy together uh and then there's iroha who is basically the omega waifu of the series more or less uh super busty woman who came in from uh, samurai showdown 6 basically so mm-hmm. um but there's also going to be a fourth character that's a mystery at the moment but um robert you have to imagine uh with the conversation that we had with the developers of the game with uh you know with like special guest characters uh could we possibly see the last samurai tom cruise <laughs> come in no, here no <laughs> that's why why would you do that but no i mean there are some hints there it's green font i'm wondering if it's Ganon because we haven't seen Ganon in a samurai showdown game in years that is a fair fair point yeah it is I it is and you know and it's kind of interesting there could also be the possibility of a soul caliber character because in case you guys missed it this weekend evo did premiere a new trailer featuring haromaru from samurai showdown in Omaru, soul caliber yeah. 
I say Hiromaru because that's how he says it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's crossing over and they got a samurai showdown stage in Soul Calibur. So for all we know, it could be a crisscross and we could get somebody like um, a Mitsurugi, Yoshimitsu. I mean, there's so many fits that would work with Samurai Showdown. And we have seen crossovers in the past, like Capcom and SNK. So mm-hmm. possibilities are out there. I personally want to see Gainon back because he was a badass character, but I would definitely be open to seeing Yoshimitsu make a 2D, or actually a kind of a 3D debut, if you will, mm. in Samurai Showdown's world. But it'd be kind of cool to see what he looks like. I mean, if they do add in a Soul Calibur character, I would hope to see either Siegfried or Nightmare, honestly, because I think Nightmare it'd be really cool to have like another big sword character in there. Because um, mm-hmm. right now, the only like big sword character at least I know of anyway, in the new Samurai Showdown is uh, Darley Dagger. because She has like that big like buzzsaw sword. Um, so more big sword characters, I think, would be really cool to see in the Samurai Showdown. But um, but Steve, like, I was curious, like, what you think, I guess, about like, you know, about like Samurai Showdown and like, you know, if this is you know something that you're excited about. I have no real connection to Samurai Showdown. It came out probably at the end of my arcade slash console cycle. I started playing PC games right near the time that these were really popular. Um, and I haven't really gotten back into fighting games much since then. I, I was really into Marvel versus Capcom. I was in the tournament scene for that. And that's probably the last fighting game that I really got into. But I really did enjoy Street Fighter 4. Um, but as far as Samurai Shodown goes, I have very limited experience playing it. Uh, but I love the graphics of it. And like the, I liked how technical it was compared to like a Mortal Kombat or, or even Street Fighter in some cases. But yeah. Got nothing for you, my man. I'm sorry. It's okay. Hey, the only thing is when you do first try it, make sure you're not going up against an experienced player because last year me and David were playing this at, at PAX East and he's all dialed in. Oh, look, I'll just pull off this super. Ah, goodbye, yeah. Robert. <laughs> it's so, like the muscle yeah. memory coming back from yeah, like the old just school games. Play, yeah, play against a very poor AI. That's the that's the best thing I can <laughs> Yeah, but like the Samurai Showdown game that came out just recently, uh, just like last year, I believe, it was done really well. Uh, still like brings back that like classic style of like the old school Samurai Showdown games where it's all about like, like, you know, uh, taking advantage of punishments and like, uh, you know, high damage combos, like not even combos, really, but just like high damage, like punishes, really. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's really, really good for that, um, as well as like the art style, too. I mean, you mentioned with like Street Fighter 4. I mean, this Samurai Showdown game is basically like the Street Fighter 4 reboot of this franchise in a lot of ways in terms of, a, of its visual style. So it's uh, it's pretty cool to see. Um, but like another thing that was like pretty cool to see, though, is a new SNES game that kind of popped up here. Uh, so this is a game called Cooley Skunk, uh, or also called Punky Skunk, that got discovered. Uh, so this was a mascot platformer uh, that was originally uh, to come out for the Super Famicom. It, it did come out for the PS1 um, on an official basis, uh, but for the Super Famicom, it was you know it was, it was like originally developed for that, and uh, it, you know it was never like physically released, but it was part of the uh, Satellaview service basically. So uh, this is basically the broadcast satellite service uh, that Nintendo had. Uh, with uh, Saint Giga, I believe is the name of the of the company, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so like basically, Cooley Skunk was like part of the Satella View. Um, someone apparently got it on a uh, on like a cartridge, basically, because uh, it was like a demo, it seems. So like uh, this is like from the Eurogamer article, but it says it briefly appeared as a demo on the service, and it just so happens that during this narrow window, a Satella View user downloaded the game, saving it to his memory pack. Decades later, that pack was discovered in a Japanese store. It was per- it was purchased for over five hundred dollars, and the community raised the money necessary to release it. So, um, it's pretty cool now that you'll be able to like find this like with some sleuthing, if you will, online. Um, but yeah, it's just really neat to see like you know again like a long lost game just like all of a sudden discovered. And I remember like first time hearing about this, it's like this can't be real, is it? And then, uh, you know, kind of dug further into it, it's just like oh wow, that's that's pretty cool. So. Um, so Steve, I was kind of curious on what you think about, uh, you know, about this long lost game being discovered. Um, this happens from time to time in the retro community, man. Um, and it's always some weird story about some guy has it in a drawer in his house and he doesn't, or it's on a memory pack or like buried in a basement somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I went to a flea market and an old grandma sold me this game. Um, (laughs) Right. And it's hard to, it's hard to tell like what's real with that stuff. Some people exaggerate, but this one seems pretty, pretty accurate. The the thing I find interesting about this particular uh, story is that they were developing this for the Super Nintendo, Super Famicom, right? And then they were Mm -hmm. able to like stop and like take a bunch of extra time to port it over to the PS1. And they were able to like add more substance and more stuff to the game than they would have been able to on the Famicom. So that's sort of like, 
pretty a pretty rare thing. I don't think many game developers get to produce an entire game and then go, oh, hey, now you're going to be able to take that game and go to a completely next-gen uh, console system and redo the game uh, much better. Um, so I, I really think that's interesting to like look at the side-by-side comparisons they have in this article. I mean, especially like a 2D game going to the 3D era in this case, too. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, personally, I like the Super Nintendo version better just because I'm that style of graphic you know, speaks more to me than the PlayStation does, but I, I can Same, see the, yeah. I can see the improvements and they put a lot of time into it. Well, first of all, I'm glad they went with the new name because I don't know how I can really say Cooley Skunk without sounding weird. <laughs> it's Cooley Skunk. Well, <laughs> I do kind of like Punky Skunk too, honestly. So. Yeah, Punky Skunk's <laughs> a better name, I think. And number, number two, it is kind of interesting how like it made the transition to PlayStation. I'd love to hear a story t- sometime about like why it didn't really work out. Probably because Super Nintendo was at the end of its lifespan. I mean, that's kind of what happened with Nintendo Star Fox Two before yeah. it became obviously a digital release. I mean, if I had to guess, honestly, it was probably like a, like a licensing kind. I think because it seemed like yeah. it was licensed for the Satella view use, but then it didn't go like beyond that. Yeah, not to mention the fact that the PlayStation doesn't really have too many 2D platformers. Right when it when it came out at the time when 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 uh, Punky Skunk came out, but it is kind of cool to see like the original version like this pop up, and now people will be able to see what it's about and. It, it it's kind of neat because you know like sometimes these long lost games like we don't even think about like you know Akira on the Game Boy Advance or whatever yeah it, that was a really cool find yeah they pop up out of nowhere and it's always great to see like what could have been if you know like certain it's sort of like the Nintendo PlayStation like remember we were like oh no they never team up and they were, oh I have physical proof that they teamed up right here it's a mm-hmm. Nintendo PlayStation well I mean it was known that they like teamed up like to make it but like to, you know to actually find like a working prototype of the the actual console was actual just, like, proof a, and yeah. an amazing find yeah absolutely mm-hmm. so I mean just seeing stuff like this come out of the blue is pretty cool welcome. And that's going to lead us now to the part of the show called What Are You Playing? What gets some games we've all been playing or have recently beat. So, Steve, with you being our special guest, why don't you tell us what you've been playing? Well, sneak peek. Um, so I'm submitting some stuff to GDQ uh, for summer. So I've been playing Far Cry New Dawn. Um, mm, I'm a previous okay. world record holder for that game. I absolutely love the game. It has the perfect balance of modern. Uh, it's a modern first-person shooter, but it has all the like really difficult stuff removed, if that makes any sense. Mm, um, yeah. It sort of leads you along, and it has really cool weapons, and there's a lot of fun in it. So I've been playing that a lot. Um, also, Double Dragon 4, which is on PC and Switch. Um, oh, working yeah. <laughs> on, working on some records for that game that are going to be submitted to GDQ. Um, so those two are pretty much the two that I've been playing the most. Is that your favorite Far Cry game also? Yeah, the only two that I've played are 5 and New Dawn. So we 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 got New Dawn, and then there was like this downloadable shotgun that you could get if you completed Far Cry 5 and you had a save file. Mm. So I had to play through all of Far Cry 5, which was actually a little bit uh, painful because New Dawn has all these improvements to, to stuff that was wrong in Far Cry 5. So I had to go back and like play it with all those things that were missing. So it just kind of felt bad. Mm. Um, but, you know, instead of playing that first and then being like, oh, New Dawn fixed all this stuff. Cool. It was the opposite. I would uh, highly recommend that you go back and check out Far Cry 3, honestly. Uh, Far Cry 3 is the one that has Voss in it, and Voss is just an amazing villain. So, I mean, if you care at all about, like, just interesting characters in video games, uh, I would highly recommend that one for sure. Time is pretty tight, but I'll check it out. Uh, How about you there, Robert? Uh, I've been working on a few games this week. I've been playing more of Oddworld Stranger's Wrath. Uh, My review just went up, and I think it is an excellent port on Nintendo Switch. Uh, Obviously, originally released on the Xbox back in 2005. So having it here is really cool. Does it look better than the original Xbox version? I think so. It runs at 60 frames per second. Uh, it looks really nice. I think the only thing, it, it still takes a little bit of difference switching between first-person shooting and third-person platforming. I know some people might be thrown off by that, but it is very cool based hmm. on what I've seen. And it's just, yeah, I think it's a great port. I definitely recommend checking that out. And uh, I've also been working on this uh, this game called Coffee Talk. Mm. Uh, this is an interesting <laughs> game by Toge Productions. It's essentially a coffee brewing and heart-to-heart talking simulator where people come into your shop. These are these creatures of the night, like a succubus or, or an alien or whatever, and, or a demon. And you basically talk to them about relationship things. And while you do that, you mix the drink that they want. And it's kind of a little challenge making their drink just right. And the conversation can actually change depending on what you serve them. So if you serve them a bad drink, you could be an a-hole. Yeah. If, you serve them, <laughs> if you serve them the right drink, then, oh, yeah. you know. And then all of a sudden the conversation goes a little bit deeper. And it's just... 
I've never really seen an indie game that just digs into this kind of character, and it's really cool based on what I played. So Coffee Talk is basically Valhalla, uh, but instead of like a cyberpunk theme in a bar, it's a coffee shop, uh, but with like a fantasy setting with fantasy characters like vampires and, and werewolves and things like that. Um, you know, so yeah, it, it is really, really good, though, I, you know, because I've been playing that as well. Um, you know, but like if you liked Valhalla enough, then Coffee Talk will definitely be in your wheelhouse for sure. Yeah, and then finally I played a little bit of Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. I'm still kind of working my way through it. It's definitely got high quality, and it's got like the adventure thing that'll really draw in fans, but I'm kind of worried that it shuts out newcomers because it does kind of throw a lot of the Dragon Ball Z lore into the mix. Like you you want to follow characters and everything. Like without and, any context or anything? Yeah, you'd think there'd be just a way to ease more like newcomers into it, but it just doesn't seem to be that way. It's built for the fans. I mean, that's great if you're a fan of Dragon Ball Z and you love Dragon Ball Z. Otherwise, I mean, the best thing I could probably recommend is sticking with Fighter Z instead because there is a lot to take in here. I mean, the battle system's pretty good and the graphics are great. They really did a nice job. And there's actually a fun little mod on PC where you can replace Goku with the goose from Untitled uh, Goose Game. Nice. <laughs> and, it's, and it's pretty hilarious. I don't That's know, amazing. But, I mean, it just, to me, it feels like it's it's limiting like the audience that it's going for. I mean, diehard fans are absolutely going to go gaga over it, but everybody else might be a little bit lost. Okay, why are they floating when they battle or whatever? Compared to like Fighter Z, okay, we're on the ground and we're kicking each other's ass with mega fireballs. I mean, it's Dragon Balls. I mean, if, you, yeah. if you're already into it, you're into it. If not, then it's not for you in that case, for sure. Yeah, but I mean, that's what I've been playing this week. What about you, Derek, David? We've been playing. Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, so, like I mentioned before, Coffee Talk uh, has been what I'm playing lately. Uh, been absolutely loving it. Um, haven't gone like too far into it yet, but I am liking the way that the characters are done up. I still like Valhalla, you know, a bit more, at least like up to you know up to the point that I've gotten in Coffee Talk. Um, but um, you know, like, uh, uh, and I'm just really curious to see where Coffee Talk goes, especially with some of the characters who you meet up there. So, um, it's like I mentioned, like you meet up with, uh, you know, there's like a vampire there. There is a um, kind of like a shape shifting cat as well, like because you like first meet like the cat and like all of a sudden it turns into like a human basically. Um, and there's like other characters, like I think there's like an ogre in there and things like that. So, um, but yeah, like it's it's a pretty cool game if you like kind of like more I don't know social simulation style games. That's definitely more your jam uh, or Valhalla as well. Um, also, I beat Manhunt, uh, so this is the second time ever I beat Manhunt, and um, I kind of forgot, really, how gun-heavy that game gets near the end, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not really a fan of, like, when it gets very gun-heavy. I, I prefer being more, like, you know, stealthy and, like, using melee weapons and all that stuff, but, like, once I introduce, like, guns and, you know, during the more gun-heavy parts of the game, it, it kind of loses me in that sense. Um, but that whole, like, fight with Pigsy, like, where, like, you know, he's, like, the, like, chainsaw, and you're, like, you know, he's, like, chasing after you as much as you're chasing after him, uh, that is definitely a part that a lot of people will remember just because of how creepy that Pigsy is and all that, so, uh, so it's pretty cool in that regard, but, yeah, there, there's some bullshit in the game that you have to, like, work through for sure. Um, and then another game I beat, actually, was Football Game, so this is a game that is on Nintendo Switch, I believe it's on PC as well. Um, but yeah, football game is a very, very, very short, uh, point and click adventure game where you play as like this high school football player, basically. And you're like, basically looking for your girlfriend to give her a gift, but it takes some really dark turns, man. Like it already kind of like hints that there's like something unsettling going on the story without overtly showing it. Um, although at the beginning of the, of the, of the game, you do kind of like wake up like with like, you know, a beer in your hand and like, it's like dripping from your bed and whatever. And like, you're trying to hide the fact you were drinking in front of your mom and all this stuff. Um, but yeah, like by the end of the game, like it, it, that, you know, that whole, that whole, um, image really like takes like that dark turn and it's just like, whoa, like what is going on with this guy's life? Like what, 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 what has he actually been up to? Cause he kind of turns into like a unreliable narrator in a sense, you know? So it's uh, it's really, really interesting. So definitely check that out. It's a, it's a very cheap game too. I think it's like two or three bucks or whatever on switch. So definitely check that out. And uh, another game to check out here, too, on Switch is OMG Zombies. <laughs> so I have a code here for it. Uh, OMG Zombies is an awesome reimagining of a genuine classic. The critically acclaimed OMG Z, a top 10 all-time Metacritic-rated PSP game and ranked as Metacritic's best action title ever released on PSP. Use your sharpshooting skills to vanquish 100 branching levels of zombie hell across 40 unique environments in this hugely addictive chain reaction shooter. So if that sounds like a jam, definitely jump on this. Again, this is a Switch code. The code is C025-2N37-N8TH-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-
GY5Q. Again, that's OMG Zombies on Nintendo Switch. Enjoy, and if you do redeem that, definitely let us know at our podcast on Twitter. Welcome back to the Stage of History. And that's going to lead us now to the Stage of History, which is a celebration of retro titles that deserve a spot, for better or for worse, in the pantheons of history. So I figure since we are talking about speedrunning and also about 8-Bit Steve's history with speedrunning, uh, we'll talk about Friday the 13th, the 1989 game. So this is a 1989 survival horror game by Atlas. It was developed as part of an aggressive expansion by LJN to focus on video games based on media licenses. Nintendo Power rated it as the sixth worst game ever made in their September 1997 issue. And a retro-jacent skin based on the purple and turquoise color palette was released for the 2017 Friday the 13th game. Which, uh, Robert, if you if you recall, uh, when we had um, Randy Greenback on the show, uh, that was one of the things I suggested to him. It's like, we need to get the NES-jacent skin in there. And eventually they did. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll tell you, the, the thing that interested me is like, when you reached the ending of the game it was i mean i'm sorry when you got killed in the game yeah it, it absolutely <laughs> the true ending you, you you and your friends are dead game over yeah it's that, an epic screen just like oh, all right great so thanks for that uh it was just one of those things that's like i mean the whole game was just silly as f like you you're really gonna take on jason a guy twice your size in a very enclosed cabin yeah mm-hmm. sure okay whatever you say, but it, <laughs> it was just, I don't know. To me, it was definitely one of those cornball tosses. It was like Nightmare on Elm Street. Like you, you couldn't play it and like take it seriously. You, you couldn't because it was just so damn goofball. Yeah, but it definitely left like, um, I don't know, like a burning memory in a lot of people's minds. Uh, usually not for the best, but uh, I know for you, Steve, this is definitely a very important game for you, especially since it is the centerpiece of your Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, Um. I look, Uh. all the stuff you said is, is true um but i think this game gets a a really bad rap um and i i want to bring some things to light hopefully you guys will will change your minds um if you look at nightmare on elm street or other ljn games that were released for movie licenses they don't really follow the theme of the movies um like nightmare on elm street's basically just a 2d platformer where you pick bones up and that's fine like that's a that's a cool game to play but it doesn't really follow the movie. If you take uh, Friday the 13th and you look at it and you go, okay, I'm a game developer and I want to develop a game that's a survival horror game, which didn't really, that genre really didn't exist in 1989. Um, And we want to have multiple characters and we have multiple weapons and we want to have Jason's mom in the game and we want to have Jason hunting us the whole time. We want to have it take place across three days. That sounds awesome, right? That's, that's a thing that existed in 1989. If you look at it from that perspective and, and you look at it, compare that to how the movies are it's pretty close like in the movie jason hunts the counselors across the camp and it takes place across multiple you know a long period of time and it's got a lot of substance in there now the game is immensely difficult for a few reasons and i think that is why people hate it um (laughs) but if you look at it as just comparing it to the movie franchise it's a pretty good match it's it's a better match than any other game i think on that console except for maybe batman Mm. Yeah, but but let's be honest, like the new one that came out uh, a little while back, the multiplayer one actually matched the nature of the movies better compared to the NES one. Oh, okay, there's these creatures just crawling around the camp for no reason. Oh, here's Jason. You know, right. it, it got <laughs> very random very quickly, as silly as it all was. And I, I like what they did with the new game, and especially the Switch version, because it's like loaded with all the extra features, which is really cool. And it works really well online, even though I keep getting killed but what's your history with the nes game though uh i'd rather not get into it <laughs> I, will, I will say this there, there's a fun story here um i remember a couple of years ago we went to a tulsa gaming expo uh this was back in its inaugural year and i remember it was a uh, susan ardent uh, who ardent uh, who was a, a journalist who had worked on a number of sites she's still doing the freelance thing i think and nick chester who works over at epic games they mm. talked about their love for friday the 13th and, and nick uh, he's got a t-shirt with it uh, i mean I, he probably oh, has, nick's all like, about a, it yeah yeah he, he probably has an entire gallery his a room you know in his house which is all Friday the 13th. That's, that's how purple much and turquoise all around his house. Yeah. I mean, me, I, I was busy with more quality NES games, but I mean, people love it that much. I, I'm not going to dig on it too much, but it's, it's a little silly compared to like other horror games. I mean, I would rather, you know, play the, the 
Famicom version of Splatterhouse that came out for the NES. <laughs> I the exact name of it, but you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I mean, NES Batman was a game that we mentioned earlier to, there, yeah. there too, and Batman's purple on that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm like, I even own like the the Nick, uh, NECA figure that was like purple skin. Which is oh cool. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A cool figure. And they too. had a Friday the Thirteenth one too, which Nick probably owns five of. Yeah, because uh, I know I have um, I actually like the only two Funko Pop figures I I own. Like the only the, you know the only things Funko I think I'll ever own honestly um, are the purple Batman and the purple jason like i actually have yeah. those two yeah <laughs> so yeah I, I guess purple was a thing with with jason i mean i am glad that they released the new skin for it but i'm trying to figure out what the designers were thinking we want jason to be intimidating but we can't make it all black it's the limitations really of the console in that case yeah <laughs> i actually uh i actually have some information on why his suit is purple oh please help falls in um so a friend of mine his name is tyler he runs a youtube channel called generation gap gaming um, he did a like a secrets video on Friday the Thirteenth, and this is the first place that I heard this from. And then I I researched it myself. Apparently, um, when the game was coming out, uh, one of the movies was was either about to release or had just released. And the people who made the graphics for this game were were Japanese. And one of the movie posters for that movie, I think it's Friday the Thirteenth Four, if I remember correctly. But don't beat me up on the internet if I'm if it's a different movie. <laughs> hey, we make mistakes all the time. Yeah, um, the movie poster has Jason in a purple jumpsuit crashing through a window, um, and I'm pretty sure they based that the the guy who made the graphics just based it off that movie poster. It was it's very close to when the game was released. Oh wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Now, as far as the teal mask goes, uh, probably a limitation of the NES's color palette, or it just didn't look right with a white, or, or the guy just didn't know that his mask was supposed to be white. Um, <laughs> that happens very, very, very frequently. Um, graphics, but yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's it's not 100, but uh, that's that's a pretty good indicator that's why his suit is purple. And that's going to lead us now to Obscura. And for Obscura, I kind of wanted to bring up a game that nobody really talks about too much. There are two different types of games, but we're going to focus on one particular version here, and that's The Pirates of Dark Water. Uh, this is a game that came out in 1994. Uh, it was released for Super Nintendo as side of a side-scrolling beat-em-up akin to, like, Golden Axe, whereas the Genesis version was more of a, a side-scrolling hack-and-slash game. So two completely different types of games, sort of like what happened with um, Sparkster with Konami. Yeah, and Aladdin, right. So, I mean, the Super Nintendo version was kind of cool. It was a beat-em-up, and it was based on the show that had run for two seasons starting back in, I believe, 1992, I want to say, or no? Yeah, 1991, about there. And it featured the voice work of Tim Curry and a few different other actors. It was basically this fun little pirating show. So the Super Nintendo game had you play uh, as one of three different characters, either Ren... Eoz, sorry if I mispronounced that, uh, Pirates fans, and Tula. <laughs> and basically, you're searching for the treasures of rule in order to rid the world of Myrrh of the Dark Water and uh, basically return home, the homeland of Octopon to its former glory. Uh, I don't know who would name a city Octopon, but whatever. Um, <laughs> this was a fun side-scrolling beat-em-up. Uh, I really enjoyed this, I think, more than the Genesis game, although the Genesis game wasn't sloppy. It, you know, it was done pretty well in its own right. But I was more about you know side-scrolling Final Fight-style beat-em-ups back in the day. And, for sure. Uh, this yeah. had pretty good gameplay, colorful graphics, and it was it was pretty good fun. I, I'm just perplexed that, you know, that Sunsoft wanted to release two different types of games. But then again, they've done that in the past with Batman, you know, on the NES and then the Sega Genesis, two different games. Right, so, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty cool. I just, I don't know, at the time, I was just getting more into superior beat-em-ups like Streets of Rage 2, but this, this was a fun little gem. And if I recall correctly, you know, a few collectors are still trying to find a decent copy. So... I don't know, David. Have you ever uh, played Pirates of Darkwater? I haven't. Uh, I definitely seen like enough footage of it, like in the past, and it definitely looks cool. I just never got like a chance like to actually play it. Uh, but Steve, I know you have like quite a bit of a, of, a, of a history with this game, though. Yeah, never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well, that's obscure, everybody. Oh, yeah, man. I guess I got my information all wrong. Yeah, missed the yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I do a little bit. So when I, in the early, uh, you know, probably three years ago, I was looking at, you know, just any game that I could play. And um, I had a lot of beat-em-up experience. Um, a, lot, a lot of my world records are beat-em-ups. Um, and they have very similar speedrun mechanics as far as what you need to do and, you know, screen pressing and all these technologies. So uh, it's really easy to just skip from beat-em-up to beat-em-up and learn the the subtle things without having to relearn an entire game. It's actually kind of a, a funny story. So 
I was in my very early uh, days. I interviewed another speedrunner called uh, Corn Shack, which is a really really strange name. <laughs> um, but he he's a guy that was on YouTube that I watched a lot, and he was coming to a convention here called Yumacon, and uh, I wanted to interview him, so I interviewed him. Um, but before I interviewed him, I looked at his speedrun list and I saw that he had the Pirates of Darkwater co-op record. So um, to try to like show him that I was good, I like got a friend of mine and I broke his record. And then, like, uh, interviewed him, but he never mentioned it, like, at all. Um, he, he never caught on that it was me. Um, <laughs> so it didn't really work. But anyways, yeah, I've, I love the game. The, the, the colors of it are really good as far as beat-em-ups go. It's pretty sound. Has a lot of There's not a lot of glitches that you can use. Um, it's, it's really good, and the character is vary enough to make it fun. Um, I wish the enemies were a little bit more forgiving. Some of them take a lot of hits, and it's a really long beat Oh, yeah. It's a mm. really long beat em up. I think I think the record I have is like over an hour. That's oh wow! For a, that's for a speed run. Yeah, so, that's yeah. long for any beat em style game for sure. It's, yeah, it's very long. But I I really really enjoy the game still, and uh, hopefully someday somebody breaks it and we'll, I'll get to go back to it and play it. But for now, it's been there for quite a while. Hi, I'm Justin, and I'm Josh, and we host the Pretty Okay Gamers podcast. Think of our show as water cooler conversations with a little less gossip and a little more geeking out. My Halo, I think, is Legend of Zelda. What? No way. No. Who are you again? I'm Justin, and we're we're (laughs) rather okay at playing pretty good games. No, no. Every week, we talk about games and their history, and even ask ridiculous questions like, are open world games even good? So come join us every Sunday on the HP Gaming Podcast Network. See you there. See ya. And that's going to lead us now to our main topic, which is celebrating the world of speedrunning. So since we have 8-Bit Steve here, I figure uh, we'll have him uh, tell us, I guess, like about like uh, how you got into speedrunning to begin with. Yeah, um, I was in a relationship for like seven years. We broke up. I didn't really have anything going on in my life. And I just decided, OK, what are the things that make me happy? I really like music. I really like retro video games. So I started to develop things in both areas. And uh, I came across speedrunning. I saw some early GQ videos of PJ and uh, Fiesel, uh, Funk Doc, Sinister One, and all these guys. And I started watching Twitch streams and just like ingesting information about who the best players were. Um, and it just got me, it got a fire in me to like just be better. So I just spent, I spent an entire year just playing NES games like offline, like every single day I would devote at least four hours per day. I did that for a whole year. Wow. Just like getting better, learning like stuff because it's a lot of stuff to take in. So little tricks here and there. Yeah. Yep. So I did that for a year and then I rented a studio, moved all my game stuff there and just started working on records. And the first two that I got were uh, Princess Tomato and the Salad Kingdom, which is a, (laughs) a point and click adventure game on the NES that I had as a kid. And then Kung Fu Heroes which is a like a top-down beat-em-up that uh, me and my cousin used to play. So I got those two records and just catapulted from there. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like When I was looking back at the history of speedrunning, I was surprised uh, where it actually began. Um, it began with Doom. Uh, when it released like in December 93, there was the ability to record demo files of playthroughs. Oh, wow. And I guess about, like within a few months, like uh, after a website was uh, founded by a Christina Strunoff Norman, uh, the LMP Hall of Fame, people just started coming in with speedruns. And like ever since, like it's really picked up steam over the like over the last couple of decades past that. And now, like, you know, it's amazing, like what games normally considered just for normal play can be adapted into speedrunning material. Like I wouldn't think for a minute I could speedrun Princess Tomato in the Salad Kingdom. Like <laughs> I, I, I normally I just like sit there. Oh, vegetables, you know that sort of thing. So <laughs> it's kind of amazing, like how much it's evolved. How people like make competitions. Even something like just playing Super Mario Brothers against each other on four different monitors becomes like this enthralling race of who can complete it the fastest. Awesome Games done quick. Honestly, has done like a really good job in terms of like. I don't know, just bringing the speed running community, I guess, to the mainstream in a lot of ways. I mean, like, I, you know, I would like see that, like, in like mainstream news, honestly, as you know, as far as like how much like money that they raise and all that. That's usually kind of the focus of their stories. Uh, but in terms of like getting like these old school games, like back in the forefront and like people who like remember them, like see them in, in like a different way. It's just, it's just really, really cool, like, what they're doing with that. Totally. And not to mention, you know, like lately, you know, people are conquering games like Battletoads. Like, G- David, how many times have we heard complaints like, oh, you hate Battletoads. I can't beat the The Mexican like, runner, like that guy is crazy at Battletoads. Oh, yeah. <laughs> at Battletoads and Cuphead. 
yeah. Cuphead's, his Cuphead runs are the stuff of legend, if I recall correctly. So, I mean, I, I'm just really impressed, like, over the years. Not, I mean, with games done quick, obviously, that's a big focus on speedrunning. But also, with, like, general tournaments with live Twitch streams. I mean, I've seen these people who try and try and try and try to get the perfect speedruns. And it's just, it's fascinating to see how focused they become. And when they pull them off, it, it's, it's like magic in yeah. a way. Now, um, Steve, like, how would you like describe, I guess, like the speedrunning community? Like, what's what's that community generally like to you? Uh, it varies. I mean, you have people that are cool. You have people that are mean. You know, I mean, it just depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say it's pretty diverse, but generally, people are pretty accepting and and uh, including. Um, I'd say it's it's more inclusive than some other communities that I've been in. Um, but there's it's also fiercely competitive too. Um, you know, people don't want to give away their information sometimes. Um, you know, because it's it's all about uh, being the best, you know, only only one person can have the record at any given time. So it's like a magician keep... in that case, yeah, <laughs> you don't want to give away all the secrets. Yeah, you always want to be the guy, um, and when you're not the guy, you're 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 like spiraling, right? Um, so that's that's the kind of dark side to it is, um, you know, these guys spend years and years and years of their lives getting one record, and then when that record gets broken, it sometimes can cause seriously damaging psychological effects, um, and it can cause financial ruin <laughs> in some really? cases yeah there's there's a lot Are there of any like stories you can share on that or um i don't know specifically i, I don't want to uh i mean i have a couple that i'll tell you off air i don't want to like air people's stories sure yeah, right yeah. but um you know i i think there's a uh, one of the things that i want to touch on and I, I touch on this in my own podcast is um people have this allure that if you are a speedrunner and you're on twitch and you go to gdq that suddenly somehow you're gonna have you know, a hundred times the followers and you're going to have all this money coming in and you're going to be able to quit your job. And that's just not really true. Uh, there's a very small percentage of people who are able to do that. And those are a very high quality people who put a lot of time and effort into doing that. It's not just from going to GDQ. Or if they're on like um, Twitch or whatever, and they have like an audience there. Yeah. Or whatever. yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you might get some, there are some people who do get a bump, from that, but that's not necessarily because of GDQ. It's just because of the quality of the content or the, a specific game or whatever. There's a lot of variables there. So, um yes it's great to go to gdq and obviously i myself am going to submit constantly and try to get in there because it's it's a cool place to be and it's for a good cause um but it's it's not you know it's not going to it's not a job interview you know it's it's not going to pay your mortgage um so i just for the listeners out there if you're thinking of becoming a speedrunner, do it because of the passion of the games that you're going to run and the passion of uh, raising money for cancer, or whatever the case is, and do it for good causes, and good things will come. If you do it for financial gain and you and you uh, make your product that way, generally that works out badly. Yeah, this definitely works out for the people who are generally competitive, for sure. Uh, but you know, but absolutely, like for the people who are like passionate about like you know about like the retro games that they're playing and like showing them off with the people, and, you know, and especially kind of like showing them, you know, again in that in, in you know in that different light, really, and like you know just kind of showing. Uh, these different ways and also i guess like engraving like their name and in, in that like you know in the, in the pantheons of history if you will you know uh especially with twin Gla- you know with, with twin galaxies and all that stuff i mean like all that's like very very important for these people for sure uh and for you too i imagine too steve so i was kind of curious i guess like on what your viewpoint is of the future of speed running as well like where do you feel like it's going especially with the way that gdq is going I feel like uh, over the last five years, the retro scene in GDQ has been slowly getting diminished. It's smaller and smaller, and it's to more modern stuff. Mm. Um, there's always the staple retro things. There's always going to be the Zeldas and the Marios and the Castlevania Mega right. Mans, right? Um, that stuff's always going to be included because it's it's popular. But they they base uh, it seems it's sort of mysterious how they do it, but um, the stuff that gets watched the most gets more play. So if you go there and you run Princess Tomato in the Salad Kingdom and there's not a lot of donations during your stream and it, it didn't have as many views as some other thing, it's not going to get back on there. You know, um, if I go on there and I donate, you know, somebody donates $10,000 during my Princess Tomato in the Salad Kingdom, they're going to bring it back. So it's really just trying to generate as much money as possible for that for that charity. And that's really the thing. So um, as far as the future of speedrunning, there's a lot of things going on. There's a, a couple companies. There's um, Global Speedrun Alliance. Um, uh, it might be Global Speedrun Association. Uh, apologies to those people if I misquoted your thing. It's called GSA. Um, they're like a group of speedrunners that run tournaments, and they're trying to get more exposure and prizes for, for speedruns. Okay. Uh, Fiesel, which is one of my favorite speedrunners, he has a speedrun company as well that's doing something very, very similar. Um, there's Speedruns Live, which is a... a 
a site that allows you to race other players and speed runs and gain notoriety and points and things like that. So it's like streamed, I imagine, too. Yeah, yeah, it can be. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, there's there's people doing things in that community trying to make it grow. But I think uh, my personal belief is that retro is sort of on the down tick um, mm. as far as content goes. Uh, you can see that Cinemassacre at the NES Punk and other kinds of things. It's just getting less and less views because I think it's just getting it's been oversaturated for too long. And um, as far as the speed run stuff goes, it's starting to go down really, really fast, in my opinion. Interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of like the rising tide or like the sinking tide, I guess, in this case, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, and I think in modern games are they're starting to include stuff for speedrunners to find and it's starting to become more mainstream with modern stuff. And um, there's a lot of really cool modern games now, too. So it's not just like retro games are the best and modern games suck. There's a lot of cool modern stuff that people want to see. Let me ask you a question here. Um, does playing like games that like have a, a higher difficulty setting bring in sort of a large audience? Because I know like whenever somebody does something like a like a Dark Souls speed run, it turns out to be like one of the highlights from like a speed running event just because, well, it's Dark Souls. Normally this game is supposed to kill you 90,000 times. But here I'm like, oh, I'm going to run through it in half an hour or something. <laughs> There's this stigma to hard video games um that i would say casual gamers or even slightly above casual gamers have um and dark souls is a, is a name when you hear the word battletoads or you hear dark souls or you hear friday the 13th or or ghosts and goblins you get this this perception that it's immensely difficult and only like insane impossible people that have godlike skills can complete these games <laughs> um but the reality is is that most hard dif- uh, hard difficulty games that you can play you only need a few bits of information to be able to complete them pretty pretty easily, or at least way easier than it would seem at first glance. Um, and so uh, GDQ is always going to go for games that have that presence because it gets more people to watch it. Um, but um, it doesn't necessarily mean that a, that Dark Souls is difficult for the runner doing the runs. It's just it's perceived as difficult, if that makes any sense. Um, so for Friday the 13th and the book, um, that's kind of the, the thing. The easy way is just the easiest way you can play through the game. And it's a, it's a series that um, I want to do it for a lot of hard video games, maybe even Dark Souls. Who knows? I think it would kind of be interesting to like with the future of speedrunning, like to pick games you normally wouldn't imagine in speedrun. Like I said, you know, Princess Tomato, a lot of people look at that and don't really perceive it as a speedrun game. So it's like, oh, what's next? Well, we could do something like, say, DuckTales Remastered over or, you know, Barney's Hide and Seek for Genesis. <laughs> right, right. I, I don't know. Just stuff that you wouldn't normally see, stuff on the left field, be like, oh, I want to see this guy beat this game in eight minutes or something, you know. Or, or over an hour if it's Pirates of Darkwater. Um, so it's just, I don't know if variety helps in regards to that, trying to introduce a new game that might be of interest to the speedrunning community. There's a lot of variables, and it's hard for me, me one guy, to say like what what's going to get in and what's not going to get in. There's there's a lot of variables. But there there is a block of games called the, the they call it the... Uh, the awful games block it's it's i think it's been rebranded ah. as silly games block and they put stuff like that in there barney and fisher price and you know uh friday the 13th has been in there a couple times booger man booger man whatever <laughs> um so you can submit games that are like that that are obscure and kind of weird and interesting and that can get inside that block um but generally you know um you know so you can it just depends on how you position your run. If you want to get into that block, you need to market for that. If you want to get into the Mega Man block, you got to market for that. If you want to get into the 2D platformers cuz you know, they only have a certain number of 2D platformers or a certain number of shoot 'em shooters or a certain number of whatever. So you got to kind of look at what other runs are are submitted to try to get into, you know, that realm if you're looking for all, you know, Boogerman or whatever. So that's actually going to lead us over to like the book series that you're working on here, Steve, uh, which is The Easy Way. Um, so like the first book that you have coming up, uh, it's on Kickstarter right now. It's just about to end. And uh, it's on the Friday the 13th NES game that we talked about just earlier. So um, what's been, I guess, like your experience like you know, with this Kickstarter campaign? And uh, what can you tell us about it, basically? What I found is that um, there's, always, there's always a person that comes up to me. This happens with almost every person. And they have what I call the game. Oh, uh, you're a speedrunner. Can you beat Boogerman? Can you beat Ghosts and Goblins? Can you beat Battletoads? Can you beat whatever? Insert random game here that they couldn't beat as a kid. Like hard game that's like in their mind pretty much. Right. Yeah. And so this happens so frequently that I, I went home one day and I just thought, this is weird because you can go online and find all this information and you can use emulators and you can go to Game FAQ and you can go to uh, YouTube and find tutorials. But these people weren't doing that. 
That no, requires work, Steve. You have, exactly. to, you have to remember that. Effort? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. So what I've done is I've taken the work away. Um, you can buy this book for a very small amount of money, and it has all of the information that you need inside the book, a comprehensive information, and it has a literal step-by-step, button-press-by-button-press walkthrough that an eight-year-old kid can play through the game. And it's designed for it to be as simplistic as possible for you to complete a video game. Um, it is the most simplistic way I've ever seen a strategy guide laid out because I've, I, I never saw this, so I wanted to make it. Um, so you can literally take this guide, um, and there are people who've played through it on their first try um, using the guide. Uh, I did a thing at European Speedrunner Assembly where I took one of the... They were very kind to me. So I, I went up to the organizers like, hey, look, I have this easy way thing. Uh, I didn't have the book or anything at that time. And I was like, give me somebody and I'll just teach them how to play games for a little while. So one of the staff members volunteered and uh, I talked him through beating uh, Boy in His Blob. I talked him through beating Jaws and Friday the 13th wow. um, live on stream. And he had never, never completed them um, ever before. Um, so that's when I knew I kind of had something that was really marketable. Like a speedrunning um, coach, really, in that case, yeah. <laughs> well, it's not a speedrun, so that's the thing. It's not designed for speedrunning. Um, yeah, yeah. Friday the 13th happens to be a game that you can beat it in around 10 minutes, but the speedrun is like three minutes, so that's significantly faster than what you're going to be able to do. But for a casual person who just wants to get like revenge on the game or get some closure, this is a book that you can take and just play through the game. You don't have to go online and look up anything. It's all in the book large color maps, you know, large text. It describes every single mechanic in the game possible, every single item, every single enemy. And then at the end, there's a little walkthrough section. It tells you exactly, specifically, step-by-step. It's a strategy guide, basically, yeah. Like, it's yeah. kind of like the strategy guys, I guess, that, like, Nintendo Power used to give out, too, yeah. It's like that, um, but uh, in a, it's more sharpened in a specific way. So the Nintendo Power strategy guides are great, and they're probably at the top level of strategy guides that are produced. But they were produced by a guy who didn't really play the game, right? So I can take the information and present it in a way that I think most people aren't going to be able to do because I've played the game a thousand times through. And I can uh, show you the easiest possible strategies as opposed to just like general tips like stand in this spot and attack Jason, um, you know, stuff like that. It's it's very, very specific. And so once you learn it, it becomes really, really easy. So. That's what the that's what the book series is designed for, and we're hopefully going to make a whole lot more of them. Uh, the Kickstarter is just blown up. We're at three and a half times the goal, so it seems like people want it, and uh, pretty happy about it. That's great, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, like, like I would imagine too that like people who want to take like this very specific information that you're providing really in these books that you, that you know that that you're making now, um, and they could apply it to speedrunning if they wanted to, though, right? Absolutely, yeah. The the information inside the game is is said the book is pretty expansive so if you want to go fast uh in the game you can do that and you will get faster as you play it because you'll you'll figure things out um it's presented in the way of hey i'm playing this game for the very first time i know nothing can i complete it how many you know in one or two or three attempts right mm. that's what i designed the book to do um as you complete it a hundred times you're gonna you're gonna get faster you're gonna little little speed saving shortcuts because a lot of the stuff that i do is safe you know, it's safe to collect a couple extra vitamins here. It's safe to do this instead of cutting off a part of the woods or whatever the case is. It's designed for that, but you can definitely use it for, for speed running uh, if you want to. But most of the people who speed run this game already know all this stuff. So, <laughs> right, right. So, um, I guess for like Friday the 13th in particular, uh, the first time you come across Jason, because I know you, you come across him like a number of times. Uh, throughout the game and um, you know there's like the side scrolling parts and then there's also like the parts that are kind of like a, I call it kind of the punch out style <laughs> really um, so like what like what, what's like the one tip I guess that you would like give to people like for that very first time you fight Jason that punch out style so it's better to fight him on the road uh, than any other place and the easy way will take you through a strategy where you don't ever have to fight him in a cabin you'll kill really? him on the road every single time yeah and it's it's structured that way so you never have to fight him in a cabin i think fighting jason in a cabin on day two and three are, it's pretty much 99 percent the reason that a lot of kids didn't beat the game yeah <laughs> uh, fighting jason in a cabin on day three is immensely difficult even for me um and it's 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 mike tyson's punch out level uh <laughs> reflexes that you need to do it um it's very very difficult to keep it but, the punch out theme for sure yeah <laughs> yeah uh so but you don't have to do that you know and that's the kind of information that i'm talking about uh 
I'm gonna I'm gonna cut out anything that's difficult or that requires a bunch of time or requires super agility, and I'm gonna present you the very easiest way that you can complete the game as an absolute casual gamer with no experience. Very cool, very cool. And uh, Robert, I was kind of curious, like, which game would you want to see next from the Easy Way series? You know what? I would love to see a Battletoads book, if if only because I think there's a mis conception about what people don't see in this game and i will argue this till the cows come home it's a brilliantly designed game but it's also incredibly hard yeah and not just the jet bike stage like the later stages are also impressively hard Mm -hmm. so just finding something in which kind of breaks down how people can see these later stages how they can see with these designs and like tips on how they can get past it. I mean, even if it's not necessarily in a speed running regard, it will show like a breakdown of what makes each stage tick and, you know, the best way to go about around them. And I mean, I, I think just a guide that focused on that so we could shut up critics like Marty Silva. I'm sorry. He's back now, you know, he's back. Yeah, I, I know. I know. I mean, <laughs> Battle, Battletoads is still a good game. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, I, I would love to see a guide that breaks down, you know, what makes the game special and like section by section, the best way to get through each stage. Now, again, I don't know if that entirely t- runs in the speed running, but I've seen, you know, like, like we said, um, the Mexican runner nail it with like no problem so uh, you think where there's a will there's a way maybe 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 so steve you hear that's so gonna get you know got some feedback right here so <laughs> well that's kind of what i'm talking about is um you know these guys have put years and years of, of time into the game and they've used these modern tools to find out information that we didn't have so i take that information and i take out the stuff that's that takes you two years to learn And I try to find an easier way for you to complete the game as opposed to just resetting the game 6,000 times um, like TMR did. Um, So uh, what I can tell you is that we, you know, with uh, I'm signed to Hagen's Alley, which is an awesome publishing company. They've got tons of awesome retro books. So go check out Hagen'sAlley.com. But, um, you know, I'm working with the publisher trying to figure out these guides aren't being made by anyone else. So we're, we're the only company that's making really retro guides of this of this quality and of the style and so it's difficult to tell what we make if it's going to be successful or not. clearly the friday the 13th book is is a book that people want and it's great uh battle toads would be i think a home run but also um we don't want to what's to say pop the cherry too quickly with a, a book like that um right so, oversaturate yourself in that case yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so um and you know this book is one game we may do books that have more than one game but battletoads is definitely on the radar my friend um i've actually done mm-hmm. i've actually done an easy way battletoads uh in a video um the video no longer exists on the internet but i did do that before um, i have my own way of completing battletoads that's what i consider the easiest way uh still pretty hard but um, can be done with some, with a little bit of practice. I mean, not to make this like a Battletoads podcast because we do have an episode on that, so you should check that out. Um, but I mean, it, it is an amazing game just in terms of like how many different like styles of gameplay there are in that game. I mean, each level really feels like its own like micro game in a sense with how differently it plays from the next. Like it's just crazy how how that game like operates, you know. Yeah, and I have, and like I said, having a guide. I mean, not eventually. I mean, not not right away, but Steve. But I mean, like eventually, something that breaks it down, like in the future, be like, okay, here's how each stage, like gameplay goes, and here's like, like you said, the easiest way to get around that. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing. Um, the easy way is a we turns into something like Kleenex, right? It's it's the way of doing it, the easiest way. You know, um, it's a strategy guide, yeah, but it's a branded strategy guide, so. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can make a strategy guide. And uh, I think this way it, it hits the most people. Um, it gets into the casual game market and it allows people to experience these games in the way that I experience them. And it sort of bridges that for them. And that, that makes me feel happy because I want more people to play retro games. And I want to dispel these myths about how hard Battletoads is or how hard Ghosts and Goblins is or whatever whatever game that you think is hard. They're not as hard as you think with, like I said, with a few bits of information that you can get from my books, uh, you can beat these games pretty easily. That would actually go a long way in the community, especially for people like, oh, I'll never beat this game. Because, I mean, we've heard a lot of people say that. I mean, sometimes it makes sense. Like Silver Surfer. Oh, Silver Surfer is no a nightmare. No one can beat that game, literally, because it's programmed way to be too damn hard. I've Although, beaten that game multiple times. Well, there you go. A whole, there's another Holy Grail game for you. Yeah, so <laughs> look, if you buy my book, and you cannot beat Friday Thirteenth with this book, then just message me. I'll give you your money back. Like it's not. Wow. 
It's it's nice. this is the absolute easiest way in the entire world, the easiest breakdown, the most comprehensive information available that exists anywhere, and it's only through Hagen's Alley that you can get these books. So you got That's that eight bit awesome. Steve guarantee right there. <laughs> if you buy it and you can't beat it, then I don't I don't want to sell it to you. I mean, um, if it doesn't work for you, but I've never experienced that. I've had I've had eight year old kids beat it. I've had people with reading and learning disabilities complete the game. Um, so it's it's very easy to do it. That's why it's called the easy way. You know, I, I can imagine like like a TV commercial with all these testimonials. I beat Jason in Friday the Thirteenth. F you, Jason, or something like that. I know, that. and yeah. you can too. Yeah, and you can too. And here's how, Michael, like one eight hundred, da da da. Yeah, a scene on TV right there. One eight hundred eight bit Steve. Make that your number. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And um, Steve, you were also telling us like a little bit of a story uh, with like a friend of yours too, who's like making some cool stuff for your Kickstarter, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so she's an absolutely amazing person. She used to sculpt for Disney. Um, if you actually go to uh, Disney and you look at the Nightmare Before Christmas float, she sculpted everything basically on the float. Um, wow. And she's incredible. Um, so she lives here in Michigan, and I met her a few years ago at an event we were doing. I, I was doing a Turtles in Time world record at a bar here. We did like a live world record. And uh, her sister's like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fanatic. Like, uh, it's crazy. So she showed up, and we met, and, and we became friends. And she agreed to do the art for my book. And I don't know if you guys have seen the Purple Jason uh the cover for the book yeah, yeah it looks yeah. amazing honestly yeah yeah it's it's it really incredible it came out way better than i thought uh not not for her skills just she's never drawn like a retro video game sting um but she took some 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 photos from online and my advice and came up with that it looks it looks beautiful um yeah. i'm very happy with it we also have an alternate cover that she did um but additionally um we were talking off off air uh, she made these little pins. Um, she showed me this one that she made for Groot, and uh, it looks beautiful. I sent you guys a picture. Yeah, yeah. Um, nice. So she decided she was going to make these uh, these Jason masks for me. We're going to have them at all the conventions that we go to this year. Uh, Portland Retro Gaming Expo, Retro World Expo, Midwest Gaming Classic, uh, Classic Game Fest, etc., etc., etc. Pretty much anything that has retro games, we're going to try to be there. Awesome, yeah. Well, best of luck with the book and like you know, just like the book series. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what other uh, games you have in this uh, you know in this book series, the Easy Way. So, uh, and we'll have like a link to to your uh, to your Kickstarter and also to your website 8bitsteve.com in the show notes. So, so people can go check that out. And uh, yeah, so uh, Robert, I believe you have a game code to give away. I do. Uh, for Zelda fans or anybody who's looking for a good roguelike top-down top game, I got Blazing Beaks on Steam. It's a roguelite where you take part in a colorful world filled with armed birds blazing their way through piles of mutants, monsters, and creepy creatures. Lots of mysteries to unravel, secrets to discover, and levels to explore. So if you're into that type of game, this is the game for you. And this is the Steam code. It is yyak 4 n zero nine five eight. B4HD0. That is for Blazing Beaks on Steam. Enjoy. And if you do redeem, let us know at twitter.com slash argpodcast. Indeed. And just want to give a shout out here too to our patrons, Francisco Limas and Mac V Ball. So thank you very much, guys, for helping support the show. And if you too would also like to support the show, you could check us out at patreon.com slash argcast. We can see all the different perks and uh, tiers you could buy into. So uh, definitely a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. And speaking of good stuff, I did want to give one more shout out here. Uh, I know the show is focused on speed running, but we also want to give a shout out to our buddy Tommy Tallarico. Uh, his uh, first edition, I believe, of the limited edition wood green in television Amico founders edition system went on sale this week. Yeah. 26, 2,600 units. That's not a poke at Atari or anything. No, no. <laughs> uh, but, but all of them sold out within the hour, apparently. And uh, along with that, he showed some footage of uh, their version of Astro Smash, which looks really cool. So uh, I want to go ahead and give a shout out here. We had Tommy on the show a while back. He obviously took two different shows, actually, talking about Intellivision. It was just really great chatting with him. And we wish him the best of luck. And we can't wait for our systems as well. Just hurry up already. <laughs> awesome. Very, very Congratulations. cool. Awesome. And uh, Steve, where can people go in order to find you online? Aside from 8bitsteve.com, of course. Uh, 8bitsteve.com is the best place. Um, 8bitsteve.com has uh, comprehensive information about my speed runs, my high scores, my Kickstarter, my podcast. Anything that I'm going to do, my guest appearances, it's all going to be on the website. Um, special shout outs to Jeffrey Wittenhagen for assigning me to his publishing company and believing in the book. Uh, shout outs to my wife for putting up with my retro video game uh, obsession. <laughs> and supporting me through all this stuff and all 
to get to a point where I can be a published author. So that's pretty much all I got. Yeah, go to my website, buy my book, and uh, I'll see you guys out in the wild at retro video game conventions. Well, we'll make it to Portland Retro Gaming Expo this year. We really need to go. And you can also find the ArcCast on Twitter at ArcPodcast. Same thing for Facebook, facebook.com slash ArcPodcast. And you can find me on Twitter at TheGuiltyMan. Follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash TheDCD. You can also find my work at PCInvasion.com as well as Gamepur.com and AdventuresInPoorTaste.com. If you'd like to send us any feedback, opinions, retro games, or topics for us to cover, or anything at all, really, you can email us at ArcCast at RetroZap.com. And be sure to check out RetroZap.com for all sorts of other amazing podcasts. It's your home away from home if you're crazy about Star Wars, Animaniacs, or pop culture in general. There's also us with Arcast, so be sure to find us on iTunes to subscribe, give us five stars, and tell your neighbors. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. So there's absolutely no reason to not follow another retro gaming podcast. All right, that is episode number 192 in the books. Until next time, keep it retro, and remember, you and your friends are dead. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you, but <laughs> yeah. See, if you if you had uh, if you had the Hagen's Alley Guide, then that wouldn't have happened. Just right. Yeah, buy the book; you won't be dead. I promise. Yes, you gotta find the easy way. That's the thing. Yeah, I already found yeah. it. You just gotta pay me money, and I'll give it to you. That's right. <laughs> because to get to the easy way, there's the hard way. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, that's how it works. But hey, I'll tell you what, though, I'm all over that Battletoads guide, even though I don't really need it. It's just to show David this is how you beat the stage. I think we could all use that, honestly. Yeah, the easy way for Battletoads, I'm all for that. Yeah. Yep, and we'll send and we'll send 50 copies to Marty Silva. Right. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next week. Take it easy. Catch you later. Chris Penwell from ActiveQuest. And I'm Joseph Yaden. We are a video game podcast that takes a deep dive into the news, covering the latest gaming trends and stories pertaining to the industry. We also do our best to cover the most recent games and like to have an ongoing discussion with the audience. You can contact us on Twitter at ActiveQuestShow or via email at ActiveQuestPodcast at gmail.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. You can also find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and Google Play. We appreciate you listening, everyone. And now, on to the show. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.